And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Sterrett, a partner at Mauk and Baker. Uh, we're Christian attorneys that uh, serve the people of God in, in Chicago. We, we serve pretty much everybody else as well. Um, if you have a legal issue, give us a call. Uh, we'd be happy to talk to you about it, see if we can help. Uh, today, we have uh, the great privilege of talking to a Chicago native, uh, Dan Darling, uh, who's the Vice President for Communications at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Dan, glad to have you. Man, I'm glad to be here and glad to uh, be uh, talking to folks in Chicago. Yeah, for those who don't know about the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, how about we start there? Tell us what the, the commission's about, what its mission is, and kind of what your role is. Yeah, so uh, the the uh, ERLC has been around for uh, about seventy years. Uh, we're, we were for a long time called the Christian Life Commission, and uh, we've been the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for uh, about uh, almost thirty years. Um, and our role is essentially uh, we're, we're funded by the SBC's cooperative program, so the churches in the SBC uh, fund us through their state conventions. And we have we have two roles. Uh, first, we uh, represent Southern Baptists and, and really conservative evangelicals uh, in the public square uh, in, in uh, Washington D.C. and the state capitol. You know, just really advocating for um, uh, laws that are just uh, when it comes to the unborn, uh, when it comes to religious liberty, when it comes to human dignity issues, uh, marriage, family formation, things like that. Um, so we're regularly interacting with. Um, you know, the executive branch, uh, with Congress, with uh, think tanks trying to influence the conversation and the media, uh, doing doing all that. So we, rep- we we speak for Southern Baptists, but we also speak to Southern Baptists in the sense that we equip pastors and church leaders to um, think through moral and ethical issues. And so we have uh, quite a bit of content on our website. We have all kinds of resources, uh, small group resources or uh, books that we've published in, in partnership with Lifeway, uh, and then uh, a, a number of other resources. We host two conferences a year, one in Washington, D.C., uh, called Evangelicals for Life, and then another uh, one in Nashville called our, you know, our year I'll see National Conference. This year is uh, focused on parenting. So we kind of speak for Southern Baptists, and we kind of speak to Southern Baptists. So what's, what's, your webs- what, yeah, what's your website? So if people want to find out more about the ERLC, where, where, even if they're not a Southern Baptist, I would encourage you to check this website out. Uh, where can they find out more? ERLC.com. Oh, that's easy enough. Okay, ERLC.com. Uh, sounds like you have got a lot of issues on your plate, and you're really busy in the uh, public square, uh, uh, a lot of the hot-button issues, a lot of the issues that are really uh, kind of dividing our country. Um, in terms of addressing, uh, you know, if you were going to address pastors, and, you know, that's some of what you do, and tell them this is how you should disciple your members in terms of how to engage the culture, how to go into the public square on these issues. What are some of the main points that you like to communicate to them? Um, maybe there are things that uh, we as evangelicals do wrong uh, and things that we should avoid or things that you think we should be doing more of that we're not doing. Yeah, and I think uh, I, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I mean there, there's a couple uh, 
diff- there's a lot of different approaches to our, our position in the culture um, and, and how engaged we should be in politics, how engaged we should be in, in the arts. Uh, and, and let's first acknowledge that this is a position that comes from privilege. I mean, there are Christians around the world who are, you know, meeting underground and living uh, in fear of persecution or death. Uh, who don't have the social capital, don't have the agency to be able to um, make a difference in the culture. We do, and I think we do have a stewardship. I think part of loving loving your neighbor as yourself is if you have a voice and you can shape the social structures and you can shape um, the policies that affect your neighbor's flourishing, I think you have to do it. So, for instance, I can't say that I fully love my unborn neighbor if I have a chance to speak up for them when they can't speak for themselves, and I don't take it. Or I can't speak up for the impoverished neighbor or for uh, the traffic neighbor if I don't use my voice uh, to speak up for them. Yeah, I think that's so a, I think, that, that's a great point. And uh, this is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Sterrett of the law firm Malcolm Baker. Today we're speaking with Dan Darling from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, Dan, I do want to talk about that because I, I you know, I hear from some pastors, and as, as a law firm we represent many ministries of all different shapes, sizes, denominations, and there, there's a segment that says, you know, really, we're not going to be involved in the culture wars. We're going to not get involved in political issues, uh, whatever, you know, issue they want to define as being political. And they withdraw, you know, they kind of um, create what is, in, in effect, kind of a, a monastic life. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I appreciate that thought process. But what I'm hearing you say is more of, in America, we're given a vote we're given uh, opportunity to use our freedom of speech, uh, mm-hmm. and that that's really a stewardship issue, and we must be using those issues, our voice and our votes uh, to stand up for issues of justice, issues of life. Um, and, I mean, is that, is that, am I hearing you right, and how would you address yeah. a pastor that's perhaps as, as I described? Well, that's a good question, and I think, uh, I, think there's, I think there's two wrong approaches to this. To particularly the role of pastor, and I, I'm I'm also a pastor, uh, and I've pastored uh, for a number of years, and so I, I get the tension there. Um, I think there's two wrong approaches. Uh, one is to um, I think uh, turn the pulpit or the church into kind of a party headquarters. So whether it's a, a Democratic Party headquarters or Republican Party headquarters, where we're just kind of parroting the party line. Sure, uh, where. Uh, and I don't think that's healthy. I think the church should always have a prophetic voice and a prophetic distance uh, from parties and movements. Um, but I think the, the 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 opposite approach and the, the overreaction to that is to not it's to kind of have this idea that well, we don't do politics here. And when when some people say that they don't do politics in church, they they mean just what I said that they don't endorse and they don't. Uh, they're not taking one party or the other, which I think is healthy. Sure. But sometimes what they mean by that is we don't talk about any controversial issues. And part of the problem with that is there's a couple problems with that. Number one, the Bible is an inherently political document, and the gospel is an inherently political statement. I mean, you're saying that um, uh, the kings and the rulers of this world are not ultimate, but there's another king and another kingdom, another way that kings and people live that's radically countercultural. Uh, and number two, um, I, I think what happens when we don't shepherd people on how to use their citizenship and how to use their their voice and their place in this world, uh, we, we really um, abdicate uh, our position of influence, and we, we cede authority to other voices in the culture. So people are going to be disciples about how to engage the culture. The question is, will, it, will they find that at church, 
or will they find that from talk radio or from Internet voices or cable news? And so what we've told people is, hey, you can come to church and learn about piety and prayer and evangelism, um, which is very important and central to what we are as Christians. But when it comes to your day-to-day lives, when it comes to thinking about the difficult issues, we're not equipped to do that. And so we've now the high priests of the uh, of the culture are your talk radio hosts and your your cable news uh, folks and your opinion makers. And so I think we need to recapture that. And I think for me, there's a couple ways to do that. One, I really believe in preaching through books of the Bible and um, just just preaching the scripture and letting it fall where, where it is. And then in our application, we really need to think of real-world applications, right. not just applications that confirm our audience's biases. So if you're talking, for instance, about human dignity, and you're in a you know, conservative Bible Belt community, you do want to educate your people on the sanctity of human life and human dignity. But you also want to talk and challenge them about the human dignity of say, minorities, or say, refugees and immigrants, and regardless of how you feel about policy that these are people creating the image of God. And so, challenging and, and our people on their presuppositions, I think, is important. The, yeah. the other ways, I think, are that pastors can use other forms. You know, I've seen churches where they do forums on a range of issues and they'll talk through issues. Just for the church to kind of be a leader in talking through these difficult issues and helping shape people's minds and consciences as they go out. Yeah, and I think uh, your point and I think your point is if the if the pastors aren't going to uh, do this discipleship in their own congregations, in other words, cede all these quote unquote political issues uh, to the culture at large or to the talking heads on radio or TV, mm-hmm. um, we see another danger in that and which is and I think we'll see it uh, and we've seen it a lot with uh, President Trump, which is look, this is the evangelical position. This is how the evangelicals voted. Uh, so the, this must be evangelical, evangelically orthodox position uh, to support um, the party on all the the party line or the president uh, on all the president all the president is doing. And I think that prophetic distance that you speak of that the church must have with respect to uh, politics is important because I I really do see that that's exactly how the election fallout happened is uh, immediately following the election of Donald Trump. And uh, in these months afterwards, we've seen a lot of that narrative uh, from everybody basically saying, look, the evangelicals put him here. This is the evangelical position, uh, like it or not. And so that's, in some sense, by ceding that authority uh, to uh, Fox News or, or whoever it is, essentially what we've done is that, well, yeah, you know, we've ceded the discipleship role here uh, to the radio talk shows and, and the Fox News um, speakers, and, and this is what we end up in terms of the vote. Um, and I really want to talk about more of this kind of recognizing the dignity of all people, and even in our discourse, uh, when we come back after the break, because this is going to be, I, I think, we, right now we're in such a divisive time in America. I mean, we've been divided in many different eras uh, in the past, but right now, just in terms of uh, the rhetoric and how we speak about issues and how do we speak to each other. And so really, that's what I want to focus when we come back. Um, Coming up, we're going to talk more with Dan Darling of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. Tune in every Sunday to listen to us at WYLL.
Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Sterrett, partner of the law firm Malkin Baker. We're a Christian law firm in Chicago. Uh, if you need any help with some of your legal issues, if you're a church or ministry, give us a call. Uh, we've worked with hundreds of churches in the Chicago area with, with respect to bylaws, zoning, uh, free speech issues. Uh, we do federal civil rights uh, litigation. Just give us a call. I also do adoption, and that's one area that I'd really like to continue to grow. I think the church is called to adopt uh, those that are in the foster system, those that are, are in need of a, uh, a loving home, a mother and a father. So if you have any of those issues, give us a call, 312-726-1243. Or you can look up look us up online at www.maukbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. This afternoon, we're talking with Dan Darling from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Dan, uh before the break, we were talking about um, how the church should engage the culture, how it's incumbent upon pastors and ministries to disciple uh, those in their congregation with respect to how to approach issues, to use their privilege of, of their vote and their voice in engaging the culture, speaking on issues of justice, life, truth. Um, I mean, these are throughout Scripture, so I don't. I think there's easy to find scriptural warrant for getting into these topics. Um, but not only using the privilege, but now I want to turn the focus and talk about how we do that, the rhetoric. How do we approach these issues? How do we approach people that are clearly on the other side of a political issue and, and, and in a way that's maybe diametrically opposed to the kingdom of God or uh, our interests? And so, uh, really, you can jump in on any of the hot-button topics or all of them, but what are your kind of, um, what have you learned in your engagement with the culture and in dialoguing with people that may be on the opposite end of an issue? Yeah, I think, I think, um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, first of all, the, the, the uniquely Christian concept of human dignity, that each person is created in the image of God, um, and has worth and dignity, not because of their utility, not because of what they could give us, not because of how they perform, but simply because they, they bear the stamp of the image of God. I think that should really radically uh, uh, impact, first of all, the way we engage the culture and the issues that that, um, that uh, animate us. Uh, so, for instance, I think uh, you, you can draw a straight line, I think, between almost all the issues that we, we should care about and, and the image of God that comes to the sanctity of life, that comes to poverty, whether it comes to um, refugees and immigrants and, other, and um, things. But I also think it should impact the way that we think about even our ideological opponents, uh, that we see them not as avatars to be crushed or arguments to be won or you know, people to be destroyed, you know, rhetorically. But these are people, um, uh, the Bible says, even when we engage in worthwhile arguments uh, that we're called to do, um, that we don't see people as the enemy, but we see, um, you know, our enemy is Satan uh, and sin and, and the flesh. And by the way, those have been defeated at the cross. And so uh, we can make reasoned arguments um, and even, you know, have anger and have outrage at things that are worse than outraged at, and yet do it with a kind of joy that trusts in the kingdom of God, that that uh, God has ultimately won in Christ, uh, that Christ is re- renewing and restoring all things, and he's going to return one day to consummate his kingdom. And so uh, the Bible says that rage is a tool of Satan. It says he walks around uh, like a roaring lion. 
And so rage is a tool of those who think they've lost. It's a last gasp of people who've lost. If we've won in Christ, uh, we don't have to fight with the weapons of eternal weapons. We can fight with the weapons of of joy and kindness and, and, and good reason arguments. Yeah, and I, I think I just read an article yesterday that spoke... Um, and it was a secular um, journalist who was writing about one of the characteristics that uh, predominates a lot of the discourse and uh, what uh, at least they perceived to be fueling the evangelical uh, support of uh, the president was, end quote, seething resentment. And uh, that sounds more like the rage rather than the, the joyful confidence in the kingdom of God. And uh, I, I think that's really troubling. Are we being fueled by a seething resentment? And I think it's easy for us to kind of uh, bunker down and say, you know what, I'm right on this issue, and I hate the culture for taking uh, the unborn life or uh, destroying marriage. All these things are worth uh, our time, our vote, our money, our, our, our voice. Um, but are we really being fueled in terms of our dialogue with people on the other side of the issue by what uh, others are reflecting back to us as saying, look, you're seems like you're fueled by seething resentment. Now, some of that may may not be true, and that's just how they perceive us, but I would hate for that to be <laughs> how we're perceived or if it's even true, what actually is motivating us. Yeah, and I, I think there's a couple things motivating it. One, I think it's a misplaced trust. Um, I mean, First of all, let's just admit, there are things to be outraged about. You know, injustice is something that grieves the heart of God and should grieve our heart. You know, Jesus, when he um, looked at the corpse of his friend Lazarus, it says that he was angered with him. He was angered at uh, the curse of sin and death that, that destroyed. That is the enemy. That Paul says that death is the final enemy. Yes. Uh, however, um, I think a lot of times our anger and resentment is a misplaced trust. There's a sense among some of us that... Um, you know, we've we've lost something. So uh, there's a sense of nostalgia that if we get just back get back to a mythical time in American history, uh, that was kind of the golden years, uh, that we can get back to that. Something's taken away. Sure. And in some ways, you know, the culture has shifted in terms of morality and and definitions of marriage and things, and those are things to lament. However, you know, the, a good understanding of Scripture tells us that every generation, of all has been cursed by sin, and every generation uh, uh, has things to lament. And so we we are not the people who look back uh, at a mythical sort of Mayberry golden years that never really were. We're the people who look forward. Yeah, and I think King King Solomon even addresses that in in, uh, Ecclesiastes, where he says, you know, it's foolish to say, you know, I wish that the golden years were, were now, you know, to look back and say, Oh, I long for those good old days, and and I think that's important. Yeah. Um, and and your point about addressing those that are uh, opposed to you and realizing that really our battle is not against flesh and blood is important. Um, you know, as a Christian law firm, it's very hard because a lot of what I do is litigation, and uh, some think that's kind of antithetical to uh, what a Christian is about. But uh, one of the things that you know the the attorneys that have discipled me have taught me is, look, your battle is not against opposing counsel. You need to um, pray for them. You need to treat them with the utmost respect and the dignity that they deserve. Or even if the, they don't deserve, uh, you know that, that you still need to uh, give them the honor they were created in the image of God. And uh, it's been amazing how, in doing so, I, I've earned friends. I've actually earned referrals from opposing counsels after the effect. And it was, 
it actually benefits my clients. And a lot of cases are able to be settled. Um, and the, my client's cause are, uh, and the cause that I'm advocating for is further, um, is, is bettered because of the respect and dignity that I show the others. And I, and I think in, in watching the ERLC, uh, yourself, Dr. Russell Moore, I think that's one of the things that I so appreciate, appreciate about your work is that, yes, you guys are involved in the public square. You guys are making sure that the prophetic voice uh, is, is heard loud and clear in Washington and even in the churches, uh, but yet you do so in how you approach the pastors and the congressmen and even the president um, with a measure of respect and, 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 and love. And, and I really appreciate that, and I do want uh, people to make sure that they know uh, where they can read more about your writing, your speaking, and the year, work of the ERLC. So uh, let let our audience know where they can find out in terms of the website, or if, uh, if I'd, I'd follow you on Twitter. I do, and I just so give people the information that they need to follow you guys. Yeah, I, so I think I think you make some really good points, and I I think one of the things that Christians can now bring to bear in a very polarized and tribalized public uh, is that. Um, we take the issues seriously, we take ourselves seriously, but we shouldn't take ourselves too seriously. And that even though we fight and we should get involved in politics, and, and it's really good that we have Christian lawyers like yourself, uh, these are good things, and I think things that are uh, honorable to the Lord. We, uh, we, we don't hold these things as ultimate, and we can, we can bring a kind of um, joy to the public square. You know, there's, I was just reading an article today about how things are so polarized, there's no common spaces left, there's no sort of common language yet. We speak as a culture. There's no, um, there's, we're just everything's becoming politicized, and we need to resist that. We need to fight that. We need to be the kind of people who uh, can exhibit Christian joy and Christian uh, freedom, and and we can do that because we're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. We we know that Christ is coming and restoring all things, and uh, we know that the Christian gospel gives us hope, uh, even in the midst of despair, and and so. Um, our, that's that's one of the things we try to do. We we fight for the issues that are very important. We feel we have to. God's given us a stewardship in America, uh, given us a voice to fight for those who can't fight for themselves. Uh, and yet we do it in a kind of humble way, knowing that we are not the answer. You know, we're not the ones we've been waiting for. Uh, we're, we're just uh, really on mission for God uh, in this time and this space. And so I think um, it's very very important that we have that. You can find our stuff at erlc.com. Uh, is the best way. We have fresh content every day. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Twitter. We're pretty active there. Um, and uh, just we also have a, a conference this fall, ERLC National Conference on parenting. Uh, one of the persistent questions we get is from parents and student pastors and pastors, how do I equip parents to talk to their kids about these different, difficult cultural issues? Um, and, and we're just trying to address that uh, from, from a Christian perspective. So we're going to have Dr. Moore. We're going to have uh, people like Phil Vischer from VeggieTales you know, fame, Nancy Guthrie, Jen Wilson. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming up. We're coming up, we're coming up to the end. Uh, thank you so much, Dan, for coming on. Appreciate all the work you're doing. Tune in next week to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. Somebody, yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody.